0: You know, we may have 20-20 vision medically, but we may be legally blind when it comes to our awareness and our blind spots that might be lurking in our life.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chappell, and I'm thankful you're here to join in on today's conversation with Tim Riddle. In today's episode, Tim and I talk about his book, Blind Spots What You Don't See Can Hurt You, to learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us uncover roadblocks to change in our lives and relationships. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting christinemchapel.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Tim Riddle is the CEO of Discover Blind Spots, whose mission is to help leaders of corporations, churches, and nonprofits address blind spots within their organizations. Tim and his wife, Stacy live in Burlington, North Carolina, and have four children. Hey there, Tim. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Christine. I'm excited to speak with you today.
1: You recently released a book with New Growth Press entitled Blind Spots, What You Don't See Can Hurt You. You co-authored the book with your spiritual mentor and friend Phil Anderson in hopes that you could help followers of Christ uncover roadblocks that are likely hindering fruitful change in their lives. Can you share with the audience some background about the book and why you wanted to write it?
0: Sure. Um, It was my first Book, really my first attempt at writing in this way. I've written a bunch, but in this particular fashion in a book. And I was at a point in my leadership where I felt like maybe God was calling me to another, you know, if you think about the Moses life, uh, maybe I was a, another third, maybe a final third, and he was calling me to something different. I wasn't quite sure what it was. I began to think about is there Some things that I might could say in this way, I I speak a lot. And so is this another opportunity for me to communicate a message? And I walked into Phil Anderson, who, as you said, is my spiritual mentor's office. And I asked him because he's written a couple of books and I have a great uh, amount of respect for him. And I said, can you talk to me about writing? And so we had a brief conversation and I walked out of his office and really didn't think anything about it. And went home. The next morning, I got up and I I ride a bike for exercise, and I have a trainer. Uh, and it happened to be in the middle of January, so it was it was, the weather wasn't great outside. So I was on my trainer in the garage, and it was around 6:30, and I started riding. And about five minutes into my workout, I started to get these illustrations that came to me, these ideas. Mm -hmm. So you know, I did what I always do, I either grab a pen, I didn't have that, (laughs) but I did have my phone beside me. So I sent myself an email uh, with an idea. And then five minutes later, here comes another one. I sent myself an email, uh, kept doing that throughout my workout, finished, went into the office that morning, walked down the hall, saw Phil's office door open, Walked in and, and he said, I'm glad you're here. He said, uh, I was praying for you this morning. Wow. And I said, you were? I said, when? And he said, I don't know. It was around 6.30, quarter to seven. And I smiled and he said, what are you smiling about? And I said, you need to stop praying because I can't get my workout in. <laughs> and I showed him, I showed him my phone and I had 16 emails to myself during that hour that I was on the bike and that led to another conversation with Phil about some ideas of which blind spots was one of them. and And really the blind spot theme came out of me reflecting on my leadership and reflecting on some strategic people that I had hired. I spent some time in the marketplace and also in ministry uh, and now back in the marketplace. but uh, some some strategic people that I hired that were extremely talented but For whatever reason they had a blind spot and it ended up costing them their job or their ability to grow and uh, I didn't call it a blind spot back in the day. In fact, I I just called it. You know a failure of leadership on my end and then finally I had a blind spot encounter in my life and I realized you know me being what I thought was the most self aware person on the planet. I had a blind spot revealed. And I thought, wow, this is a big deal. And Phil and I began to talk about it, and our first reaction was. Well, everybody knows about blind spots. I mean, everybody gets it. Everybody understands that I bet when we research this we're going to find there are a thousand books out there. And as we begin to have conversations with people, the same thing happened all the time you would start to have the conversation and the person would you see their eyes start to roll in the back of their head (laughs) and you would say what are you doing they said I'm replaying some things I think that might have been a blind spot so one thing led to the other and uh, new growth was kind enough to engage us and they liked the idea and that led to Phil and I actually Phil said to me in our conversation he said Tim you know If you want me to, I'd be honored to co-author this with you. And being someone who's been a spiritual mentor of mine and someone that I respected and respected his writings, I mean, I was honored to to be considered to do that. So it took me about two seconds to say, are you serious? (laughs) Absolutely. And it was a great journey for us to do together.
1: Well, before we move too far ahead in our conversation, I think it's really important that we do explain or define what a blind spot is. Would you offer us a definition of a blind spot and share a narrative from the scriptures that demonstrates what a blind spot might look like in real life?
0: Yeah, sure will. In fact, an interesting story about that. When we were writing the book and we were, I forget how far we were, maybe we were partway through or had some discussions with our publisher. With new growth and I remember the day that they said I think you guys need to define <laughs> what a blind spot is and at first your initial reaction is well blind spots are sin you know all blind spots are sin and and uh, both Phil and I neither one of us we agree yes the majority of our blind spots are sinful but we didn't want this to be a book about sin and although that's a reality Uh, I think the bigger message is certainly the grace that we receive through what Jesus did for us. And so our definition, and I'll tell you why uh, we came up with this, but our definition was a blind spot is anything that stands in the way of you being all that God has wired you up to be. And here's an example of one that I think is not a sin. For example, I uh, love to speak. In other words, I, I, I've had the opportunity to do that over the years and enjoy speaking uh, in the church world, also in the in the business world. And so I love when I get a chance to do that. But up until probably the age of 45 to 48 years old, I was never the guy to raise my hand to want to speak. I was never the guy in the classroom that you know said, hey, let me let me give the talk or let me answer the question. I was always the quiet person. And never asked for that, never wanted to do that, never felt like God was calling me to do that. And then one day I was sort of forced into speaking, and shortly after that it became affirmed, and I was um, started doing it a little bit more, and, and more people affirmed that. And I realized that perhaps it was a gift that God had given me that just hadn't been revealed yet. I don't know that I was I wasn't rebelling against God. I wasn't refusing it. I just basically didn't feel like God had called me to do that until he said at that time in my life, now's the time. You have some experience and I think that, that now's the time for you to start telling your story and you start communicating. So I don't think that's an example of sin, but I do believe that the majority of our blind spots, if we dig deep, do turn out to be some type of sinful behavior that's lurking deep in our soul.
1: You mentioned a few different stories in the scriptures that really serve to demonstrate the whole blind spot concept. Does one come to mind now in our conversation that you would be able to share with the listeners to give them kind of an idea of how even the Bible depicts this as an actual reality that we face as fallen creatures?
0: Sure. As Phil and I were writing the book, we uh, before we start writing, we said, okay, we want to make sure that we have a biblical foundation for what we're writing. So he went away for a month, I went away for a month, and we said, let's do our separate research, and let's jot down every scripture, every verse, every story, every everything, Old Testament and New Testament. Let's walk through the entire Bible, and let's jot down all the scriptures where it references the ability to see or the importance of seeing or the inability to see uh, and so forth. And we came back together and we put our notes together. and We had 100 pages of scripture that talks about the benefit of sight and how uh, not seeing clearly can cause a problem. The most obvious uh, doesn't take long in scripture. Uh, I'll just mention a few. An obvious one in the Old Testament is David. His sight created a blind spot, how ironic. His look with Bathsheba creates a blind spot that he had to be confronted to be able to see really what he had done. In fact, you know, his response was, who? Tell me who, you know, who who did this? And it was him. He moved to the New Testament. Of course, we love Peter. I think Peter had all kinds of blind spots. You know, he was one that would talk first and think second, it seemed like. But the most compelling one to me, and I write about it in the book, is Paul. You know, Paul on that road to Damascus, he had to lose his sight in order to be able to see clearly again. And I feel like that's a, a significant insight into just how important it is for us to see clearly. You know, we may have 2020 20 vision medically, but we may be legally blind when it comes to our awareness and our blind spots that might be lurking in our life.
1: While reading your book, I could not help but think about the verses in John 2 when it is said that Jesus did not entrust himself to the crowds who were observing his miracles because, quote, he knew what was in each person's heart. Now you contrast that statement to Jeremiah 17, 9, which in the New Living Translation reads, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So there's a sense that while spiritual blind spots are inherent to the heart of mankind, there are no places within the depths of of our being that the Lord cannot see. So based on these realities, why do we as Christians depend on God's help to uncover blind spots? And why can we be confident that he will help us to address them once they're discovered?
0: Well, one of the things that I think that we have to have, if we want blind spots addressed in our life, we have to allow in our lives, we have to put in place some mirrors that allow us to see ourselves. For example, my wife's car, is different obviously than my car and it, and her seat is set up different and her mirrors are set up different for her. She's uh, shorter than I am. I'm a little taller than she is. I would never get in her car and start to back out of the driveway and look at the mirrors and say, yeah, they're not really lined up and I can't see anything, but I'm too busy. I think I'll just head out and I'll fix those later in the day. Just wouldn't do that. First thing we do reach up, adjust the rear view mirror, fix the side mirrors, but in life we have a tendency to head out into life and never, ever look in a mirror. And I think you've alluded to the fact that one of those mirrors, perhaps the most significant one, is to allow God to be a mirror for us. And a lot of people think that, that, you know, God being a mirror is that I just, you know, go to church on Sunday or that I try to be a good person or, or that I you know, say my prayers at night and so forth. And I really believe that God being our mirror means that we intentionally carve out time to allow God to speak into our souls. And you say, what does that look like? And that means spending time with him, listening as much as praying. In fact, I would even argue that when we pray, our prayer should be uh, at least half of the time should be just listening. I have this image uh, where when I get in a hurry and and I really feel like I have a lot to talk to God about. And so I'll sit down and I'll begin to just pour out my soul. And then at the end of that time. I'll just say, amen, get up, head about my day. And I envision God sitting there sort of saying, well, wait wait a minute, I had some things I wanted to say to you. You don't want to hear my part of it? (laughs) And I think we live in a world where we think, okay, I sat for 20 seconds and I didn't hear anything. So obviously God doesn't, you know, he's not present today. And I just think it's a rhythm where we have time of solitude where we allow God, where we open ourselves and say, hey, I really want you to speak into parts of my life that I can't see. And if we do that with an open heart and an open mind and an open spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, at least in my experience, does that over and over and over if we allow him to be that mirror.
1: I would totally agree with you. I think that's been my experience. No, I think I know that's been my experience as well. And so you're absolutely right about taking the time to sit and to listen for God. And one of the main ways we do that is being in his word. And I can't help but think of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I really feel like that last part right there, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart just goes back to helping us to uncover those blind spots that we might not be seeing because for whatever reason whether they haven't been revealed to us or as you mentioned in the book that maybe we're actually choosing to ignore them which is a whole nother ball game but I just I love that point there that you made and I think that because God's word is alive and active we can know that he will help us when we pray that prayer lord create in me a clean heart show me my my wicked way if there is one and he's just so faithful you know to do that time and time again
0: well we'll add this when i was uh when we were writing the book and and i posted something on social media uh one day and i and i said you know are blind spots really blind or do we just decide to ignore them and push them into the depths of our soul and a good friend of mine he responded back kind of tongue-in-cheek and he said tim If they're blind spots, you can't see them. Blind means you can't see them. He said, however, what you may be talking about are denial spots. Mm, (laughs) And, and, And I said, yeah, absolutely. In fact, to be honest with you, I think the majority of our blind spots are denial spots. I think if we carve away the layers, I don't know that we would be completely surprised all the time. I think it's one of those things that we pushed into the, you know, into the corners of our soul, into our closets, out of sight, out of mind. It's sort of like when you you walk by something over and over and over and over again, and you don't even recognize it. And so it's more of a denial than it is something that you're completely unaware of.
1: Well, in the book, you and Phil point out motivation as an area worth rooting around in when seeking to discover blind spots. And I really appreciated Phil's statement that he wrote, quote, to the extent that we are blind to what is motivating us, we aren't free to grow. So what does it look like to closely examine our motivations in life through the lens of the gospel? Can you share an example of how we would work backwards from recognizing a particular behavior pattern and then maybe using that pattern to identify a blind spot?
0: Here, here's an example. I had a real life experience of that when I was writing chapter three and I was looking at the story of Jesus and Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7 And where Jesus says in one of the translations, you know, the the story where the woman comes in and pours perfume and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Simon had invited Jesus over to have him over for dinner with friends. And, you know, some people may say, oh, he's trying to be hospitable. I think we all know that he was basically trying to expose Jesus. And so when this scene was taking place, Simon says to, you know, kind of over in the corner, he says, uh, you know, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who was touching him. He would never allow a lady, a woman like this, not that woman, to engage and be in his presence. And Jesus says these words. He, he basically says, Simon, do you see this woman? In other words, not physically, do you see this woman? So in chapter 3, I, I do I start with this story about a text poll where we were beginning uh this is when i was working in the church and as executive pastor and i said to our team early in january i had listened to a leader talk about this so i, I sort of stole the idea from them or, or used the idea i guess but the idea of taking the fruit of the spirit and uh, all the fruits the nine fruits even though i know paul doesn't didn't want us to cherry pick those but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time Mm-hmm. So I asked our staff. I said, "Let's all pick one fruit for this year, and let's focus on that particular fruit that we want to see grow in our life this year." And I said, "So how do you determine which fruit?" Well, ask your family, your friends. A little bit of a blind spot thing. Sort of, sort of ask, "What what fruit would you recommend?" I was driving my son to a college visit uh, in Florida. We were he was driving actually. I was in the car. We were heading down to Florida, and we're on I-95, I guess it was, and I decided to send this poll, this text poll, to my family. I have four children. My wife, Stacy and I, so there's six of us. I don't get a vote. They do. So five people, that's a pretty good sampling. (laughs) And so I sent the text poll out and said, hey, we're doing this. What fruit would you recommend that I focus on for this year? And, you know, you send it out. Uh, literally within a couple of minutes, I heard a ding on my phone. I looked down; it was one of my daughters, and she said, "Patience." And so I thought, "Wow, that, that kind of stung a little bit." Uh, <laughs> but okay, all right, we'll wait and see how the rest of them play out. A few minutes later, here comes another one: patience. A few minutes later, here's another one: patience. Finally, all of them had weighed in except my son Fletcher, and he's driving, so he hasn't looked at the um, at the phone and had didn't see the text. And so I described it to him and I said, well, what do you think? He said, I don't know what did everybody else said. I said, no, 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 you don't get to play that game. I said, tell me what you honestly think. And he said, I don't know, Dad, maybe patience. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I dug deep down inside, I might say, Yeah, I wasn't surprised at that. I can tend to get impatient. You know, being a a leader at times, I I tend to get impatient when things don't move as fast as I would like for them to. And so in the book, I write about the importance, though, of layers. And sometimes we want to look at the surface and not look what's beneath the surface to uncover the blind spot. So here's my point. As I was in the middle of writing that that chapter and I didn't know it was going to go in this direction, but I began reflecting on this idea of layers and this idea of the fruit of patience and why I needed to deal with that. And I thought why is patience the visible layer? of What's underneath that? And I'm kind of a ashamed to admit this, so I admit, admit it with all humility, but uh, I realized that sometimes my impatience really comes out of a feeling of a sense of entitlement which was exactly the same thing that was happening to simon in jesus's confrontation with him in other words my impatience uh sometimes i i may think well gosh why don't you get this you know you should get this or why aren't you acting this way or why aren't you treating me any better or why aren't you giving me the kind of results that i'm looking for i deserve better than this Mm -hmm. And so unless I dr- address this sense of entitlement, I'm never going to get to the root of the blind spot, which visibly looks like impatience. But that's just going to be as we as you know, Hebrews says, you know, we've got to get to if you want to get to um, uh, get rid of bitterness, you have to look at the root of bitterness. Right. You know, bitterness visibly, if you just address that, it's like trimming Uh, weeds in your in your yard at the surface unless you dig down and grab them from the roots they're just going to show back up same thing for me if i continue to just try to be more calm count to ten take a couple of deep breaths um, it's always going to show back up unless i really realize there's something deeper that i need to allow the holy spirit to do some work within me on
1: That makes me remember an example that Paul David Tripp gave about stapling fruit to a tree. So if you've got a tree that's producing bad fruit, so a.k.a. you know, you're producing bad behavioral fruit or moral fruit or spiritual fruit, I guess you could say, you can't just pluck off those fruits and then staple on the good apples. You know, those apples are just going to rot and die eventually anyways. You're not addressing the root of the tree, which is the disease. That particular word picture came to mind when you were talking about that. I think it's a really great illustration of what we're talking about, of, of digging through those layers to see what's really the motivation underlying the particular blind spots that are being revealed to us, sometimes by our family members, which, you know, God puts them there to serve good purposes because they will be able to see the ugliest parts of us that the outside world necessarily may not get a chance to observe. Well, you offered a list of really insightful questions that we can ask ourselves as a means to unveiling particular blind spots in our lives. While I would certainly encourage our listeners to purchase your book to get access to the entire list, would you share a few of the questions that might help us to arrive at what you call Uh aha moments when we begin to journey to expose spiritual blind spots?
0: Sure, absolutely. The intention of this list was really twofold. One is to get you to think and reflect and to see how honest (laughs) one might be in answering those questions. But the other, and I say at the end of the list, is I say, if you're brave, now hand the list to your spouse, Or to someone that you trust and ask them to be brutally honest in answering the questions about you. If you look at the answers, the difference between those two answers are going to reveal your blind spots. But here are a couple of the questions like, is there a pattern or theme in your life that appears again and again? Yeah, we have a tendency to have certain patterns that we just go through again and we feel like we're on that you know, that Ferris wheel or that mouse wheel or whatever, and it's just over and over and over again, and sometimes we have to stop and say, wait a minute, something is not right here. You know, the definition of insanity, we do the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over again and expect a different result. In other words, do you have a habit that is hurtful or harmful to your joy and well-being? In other words, is there a part of our behavior that we do a little self sabotage at times. Do you regularly feel anxious, overwhelmed, insecure, or frustrated? For example, is there tension in a relationship and you can't put your finger on the issue the, the I write about in the book the blind spot that was revealed for me was a was a conversation that I had with a a leadership group that I was a part of, and uh, we left that meeting and it it ended abruptly. And throughout that next week, I thought, "What? why is there so much tension and what's going on? And I don't understand. And why did they get upset? And if anybody has the right, it should be me being upset. And then we came back together and a blind spot was revealed to me of something that I said that to this day, I still don't remember saying, Mm -hmm. but five people heard it in the room and made me kind of step back and say, holy cow, I had a blind spot of such large proportion that I don't even remember saying something that I said. And then just a couple more. Do you have any behaviors or experiences that happen repetitively in your career? In other words, is there this constant thing? And then here's an interesting one. How would you rate your productivity? In other words, there's been times in my life where I just feel like I'm just treading in mud, you know, quicksand, not getting anywhere. And I realize that I have to change some of my habits. Or I've developed a rhythm that is unhealthy for whatever reason and I'm not getting anything done at the end of the day. So there's some practical blind spots that we can try to uncover as well.
1: Well, someone might be listening to this interview, and they may be thinking to themselves, hey, this sounds great and all, but who has the time to do all this soul searching? If my life seems to be going just fine, why bother looking around for blind spots? But you suggest that there is a really big difference between merely looking at the surface level conditions in our lives and really seeing something which, in your words, quote, requires us to look more deeply to understand. Can you explain what you mean by this comparison between looking and seeing and maybe share why it's critical for followers of Christ to humble themselves to this work?
0: Yeah, I go back to my Luke 7 scripture with Jesus and Simon the Pharisee, and Jesus asked that question, Simon, do you see this woman? It was very evident that Simon was looking at this woman, but Simon was not seeing this woman and the transformation that was taking place. For example, looking takes just a minute. You know, you take a quick look. It's just it's just a minute. You know, David had a quick look that lasted maybe perhaps a little bit longer than needed to. Uh, seeing takes time. Seeing requires a lot of times our involvement. It requires us to get involved. Uh, for example, if we're driving down the road and we, we look and there's an accident on the road, but do we stop? To see the damage and the disruption that might be going on in the lives of those that might be in that vehicle. We may have a friend who's struggling in their life or let's say a married couple who we think is struggling. and We see some tension and we look at that relationship. But do we truly see what's behind the scenes and decide, hey, I want to be. Involved. I want to I want to help. I want to try to be there for that particular person. So as I said, when when we look, it's it's sort of like someone else can fix this. But if we decide that we want to to see um, it, it really involves us uh, engaging, getting involved, rolling up our sleeves and wanting to get to the uh, root Back to that Hebrews bitterness scripture to the root of the issue.
1: Well, I really love the challenge you offered to the reader when you wrote. Don't allow a sinful blind spot to cause you to compromise and rationalize a heart that is drifting from God. Now, falling away from the truth revealed about God in the scriptures is a real and present danger for today's Christians, just like it was when the Apostle Paul wrote to his church plants mere decades after the resurrection. Unfortunately, spiritual pride can tempt us into rationalizing our sinful choices. So why is it so important to be intentional about the friends and community we surround ourselves? with when it comes to avoiding self-deceit.
0: I think that uh, what's interesting also, I've had the question of, uh, do you find blind spots more in those who are Christ followers or those who are not Christ followers? And in fact, some people have even said, why, it seems like that Christ followers have a lot of blind spots. Why is that? And I always respond, I think as Christ followers, we can move a little bit into our holy huddle. Mm -hmm. Um, We can sort of think that you know we can act however we want to then we go to sunday and we you know we get cleansed and we can go back out and so we we sort of departmentalize our faith and as long as we show up on sunday looking good that's the most important thing or uh, and so forth and so i do think that we talked about mirrors and that first mirror being allowing god to speak into our lives The second mirror I referred to, and you've referred to it here, both of us have, is Scripture. How Scripture can uh, really look deep into our souls if we allow it to do that, and it can become a great mirror for us. But this third one is that we really have to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with community. When Phil and I were writing the book together, we actually joked and said, you know, would it be—I mean, could you really write a book about blind spots by yourself? In other words, don't you need somebody to write with you? And so when we started, we said, hey, we're going to be each other's accountability, blind spot, accountability partner. And so the numerous times I would walk into Phil's office and say, hey, I've got this going on. What am I missing? And he would point out something a whole different perspective that I just didn't see and. You know, at times I know that, you know, there may be a feeling of, you know, wow, I mean, why do I want to do that? Why do I want to, you know, why don't I don't want to get into that yuckiness and so forth. But the release of that and the freedom of walking in and saying, hey, you know what, I'm opening this up. Speak to me. What, what am I not seeing is so important for our growth. And you actually walk out with a bounce in your step because you're thinking that whatever that was that was blocking you from being all that God had wired you up to be, if that's removed, that's got to bring you uh, a renewed sense of energy, a, new, a renewed sense in, in your faith and your walk with Christ.
1: While you were speaking about going to church on Sundays and kind of, you know, doing your Christianly thing and clocking in on Sunday service and then living however you want for the rest of the week, I couldn't help but think of Jesus's rebuke to the Pharisees when he essentially called them a group of whitewashed tombs who look beautiful on the outside, but our inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And so I think that just goes again, he's talking to a group of people who, in their own estimation, in their own circle, they were all very righteous. Uh, but Jesus was pointing out their hypocrisy and saying that you are just out- outwardly righteous, but not inwardly righteous. And so this just goes to show you that if you don't surround yourself with godly people who can be your accountability partners and really call out the blind spots as they see it, you could very easily become surrounded by a group of religious Pharisees who all are concerned with external performance and not necessarily sanctification and lifelong heart change. So I think that's a good warning there that I think fits nicely into this conversation. There was something that Phil wrote that was so profound for me. I know you're not Phil, but I want to ask you to, Uh I want to ask you to interact with this excerpt because it really touched my heart. He wrote, quote, Sometimes I don't see people and their needs that are right in front of me because I've grown accustomed to their existence or because I just don't want to see. Sadly, I confess some of these people are those with whom I share a last name and even the same house. That really just made the hairs stick up on my arms. Would you unpack this statement for us and help us to realize its practical applications to our interactions with our family members and those in our households?
0: Yeah, a couple of ways to respond to that. I I do think sometimes those who are closest to us, because we see them all the time, we feel like we have all the time to address whatever that that needs to be addressed or to be aware of needs. Uh, A couple of things. One, for example, I wear glasses, and sometimes uh, my wife will walk up and grab my glasses and clean them. And she'll say, "How do you see out of this? I mean, how do you? How? how, I mean, you're—they're filthy. There's just dirt all over them." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? You know?" And and literally that dirt, that smudge is—I don't know how how far, maybe a quarter of an inch, eighth of an inch from my eyes, and and yet I can't see it. I have a a good friend who owns a business who works with colleges and one of the things that they do is they go in and do what's called an atmospheric assessment. They'll show up on a college campus and they will meet with the president of the University and then they'll hunker down for 24 hours and they'll crawl all over the campus and they'll take photographs of different things they observe and then they'll come back and show the college president. And for example, it might be at the admissions office when. When parents and, and, you know, potential students who are coming uh, for their very first campus visit, they're walking up and the the dumpster truck is unloading the dumpster about 10 feet away from them, mm-hmm. you know, and it's exposed. And the president always has this look like, holy cow, never. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I have completely forgotten about that or completely. I drive by that every day. And I just don't see it anymore. And so I do think the things we're most familiar with are sometimes the things that we take the most for granted.
1: Let's say we've identified a blind spot in our lives, and we want to work towards changing it, but we aren't really sure how. Now, of course, the process of breaking free from blind spots is addressed in the book, but I wondered if you would be willing to offer some high-level practical suggestions that listeners might begin to implement, perhaps while they're waiting for your book to arrive in the mail.
0: Sure. The first and probably the, the hardest is to say, be open. Yeah, be open, be okay with saying, you know what, I really want to grow. I want to identify anything that's standing in the way of me being all that God has wired me up to be. Uh, When I told the story earlier about uh, my leadership and uh, having some leaders that were great leaders but yet had blind spots and it was really blocking their growth, I ended that season of my leadership I was in my 30s and I thought well I must just be a terrible leader because I thought that I could love that person I could train them I could pay them I could do whatever I wanted and they would ultimately see the light and and be able to grow and then I remember reading a book one day by Daniel Goleman about emotional intelligence and and he had in the book he said you know. As a leader, you can train, you can uh, pay, you can love on. You can care for someone who has and he didn't call it a blind spot who who has an issue or deficiency. And he said, unless that person realizes and says, you know what? I think I have an issue here and I really want to address it. He said the best you're going to get is about a two to 3% improvement. And I remember when I read those lines, I put my hands up in the air like a touchdown and I said, hallelujah, maybe it wasn't me after all. (laughs) So the biggest step is to be able to be open. The second is try to identify kind of what those things are and the way you identify is to uh, put those mirrors in your life. You know, allow God, spend that solitude time with God, Uh, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move some things inside of you and then put a, a consistent rhythm of scripture uh, in your life. Not a, hey, I, I started reading, but then I stopped and I started reading. And sometimes I, I get a little bit, I don't know if fanatical is the right word, but you know, we have a tendency to read books about the book. We sometimes forget, hey, just read the book. You know, I, I always, when I think about leadership and people say, that's a brand new leadership principle. And I say, no, it's not. I can point you to chapter and verse where this was written to over 2000 years ago. Hmm. So sometimes we just have to go back to the book in a regular daily time. And, I, and I'm not trying to say, you know, you got to carve out an hour a day of reading scripture, even if it's just a couple of minutes, but a consistent regular uh, time. And then obviously the one we just talked about, uh, making sure that we have someone in our lives um, that can help us see those things. know scientifically each eye has a blind spot independently there's a part on our retina that kind of that that you can't see photoreceptor cells that block the sight, but we don't notice it because when that thing that's in our vision moves into the blind spot of our right eye our left eye actually sees it Hmm. and it moves in the blind spot of our left eye Our right eye actually sees it, so it doesn't lose our vision. We don't we don't lose it in our vision, so I always say, wow, my right eye is an accountability partner for my left eye, (laughs) and my left eye is an accountability partner for my right eye. So it's so critical to be able to have someone in our lives that we can say, hey, I'm open to this, and I really, truly want you to speak into me to be that mirror into my life of things that I can't see.
1: I can't help but think of the prayer that is in the psalm, crying out to God and say, Lord, grant me a willing spirit. I feel like that's so practical in this situation. If you want to attack blind spots, but you are not sure, you you know, take Tim's suggestions, get the book. But I think it's a real simple, simple prayer is, Lord, grant me a willing spirit, not only to see. Uh, But then also to, to want to change, because like you said, looking at something and oh, yeah, that's there. But, you know, I'm really busy and that's not that big of a deal. That's one thing. But to actually be willing to to see and then to implement and work towards change is really key. We are just about out of time for the show today, so I wanna invite you to do something I ask every guest on the show to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who is feeling weary from the turmoil they experience in their life and their relationships, They don't think that they're experiencing heart change and the fruit of the spirit just seems like a long list of Christian ideals that they're never going to be able to reach. In short, they're spiritually stuck and they aren't sure if there's any hope for change. What would you say to this person to give them the courage they need to turn to Jesus to ask for help in discovering and breaking free from blind spots?
0: Here's what I would say. The idea of breaking free is an incredible feeling. So I would encourage you to be okay to, to have the courage to roll up the sleeves and say, you know, I want to dig into this part of my life. And I realize that there's going to be a part of this that's probably not going to feel good. There's going to be a part of this that's going to make me feel a little paranoid. (laughs) There's going to be a part of this that's going to make me feel like I'm not quite all that I thought I was. But just beyond that wall is freedom. And if we truly believe that our blind spots are blocking our path of being all that God has wired us up to be, then. We need to realize that that freedom is worth the yuckiness that we go through to get to the other side. It's so, such an incredible feeling. When I had a blind spot removed from me, the very next morning, I woke up, I sat on the side of my bed, and I remember waking up thinking, "Wow, I slept incredible last night. Wonder what that was?" And then I reflected, and it was because a blind spot had been removed the day before and here's what'll happen once you do that you'll say hey tell me more <laughs> <laughs> if that feels so good uh, there's got to be more blind spots in here let's make sure that that we get rid of all of them and so just don't stop short play the tape to the end and realize that it may seem like a hurdle and a wall that's too big to get over But trust me, the Holy Spirit will allow us to get to the other side. And that feeling on the other side is worth the effort of going through any of the tough stuff to reveal those blind spots.
1: Well, thank you so much, Tim, for those words of encouragement. I think it was such a neat conversation to have. And it's just really eye-opening to kind of view some of these challenges from a little bit different of a perspective, yet still rooted in the scriptures. And of course, empowered by the Holy Spirit the entire time. If we are in Christ and we volunteer ourselves to go searching for blind spots, as we have talked about, his word and the Holy Spirit will help us to do that and accomplish the good work that God began in us when we were converted in Christ. So Tim, if there's someone who's listening today and they are interested in learning more about you and your ministry, where can they go to find you online?
0: Um, They can find me simply at discoverblindspots.com. All of my information is there and would love to engage. You can reach out to me there. All my contact information is there as well.
1: Well, very good. I will be sure to link to your website and to your new book on the show notes. So if you want to get access to Tim's information and click and order a copy of his book right now, you can actually scroll down to the show notes section, click on the link there. And that will take you to where you need to go to get all that information. Well, Tim, again, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about your book and to help us and help to equip us to discover blind spots in our life. I personally feel encouraged like I want to go hunting for some although I think God so faithful that sometimes he just will bring them to us a lot more faster, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know. He's faithful to show us, especially when we want him to. So I appreciate the conversation and just thank you so much for taking the time to write the book.
0: Thank you, Christine. I enjoyed being with you.
1: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit christinemchapel.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel, hope, and help for life's challenging problems, visit christinemchapel.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel, hope, and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on The Hope and Help Project.